Live from New York, it's SNL 80, starring Gene Disaster Dumanian, Fred Can't Take a Joke, Silverman, Lord, I'm out of here, Michaels, Al, fuck you, Fred Franken, Eddie, best thing about this season, Murphy, and Joe Piscopo, featuring terrible sketches, not funny cast members, and declining ratings. Musical guest, viewers turning the dial, and your host, the worst season in SNL history. SNL Lady, on this week's This Was a Thing. This was a thing. The movie cruising with Al Pacino. Cabbage Patch dolls and Teddy Ruxpin. McRib and Cher Moonstruck. Oscar win. That was a thing. This was a thing. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at Saturday Night Live Season 6, or SNL 80, or the Gene Dumanian years, or the Gene Dumanian year, not plural. Now, this was a thing because with only one staffing change, NBC nearly killed the most influential comedy creator of all time. Imagine a world in which SNL did not live past 1980. Would we have ever gotten the chance to meet Eddie Murphy, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Dana Carvey, Victoria Jackson, Victoria Jackson, Chris Rock, Will Farrell, Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon. The list goes on and on and on and on. And uh, probably not. And it was all because of the fragile ego of a man named Fred Silverman. This podcast is now called the Fred Silverman Podcast. Oh, He's, my God. I think he shows up more than anybody. Now, to be fair, Fred Silverman is as influential to television as SNL is to comedy. Silverman had the distinct achievement of turning around each of the failing big three networks in his career. In 1970, he was made vice president at CBS and initiated the controversial Rural Purge. Controversial Rural Purge. That's a lot right there. You did a great job on that. Thank you. (laughs) Which was canceling all of CBS's programming that involved farms and country living. Goodbye, Mayberry RFD. Goodbye, (laughs) Green Acres. Goodbye, Beverly Hillbillies. And hello to All in the Family, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, MASH, Kojak, and Sonny and Cher. Oh. Nice trick, Fred. Thank you, Fred. Can you do it again? Yeah, he can. Because in 1975, Fred Silverman became president of ABC and pushed Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Charlie's Angels, Three's Company, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, and Roots. So he turned ABC into a hit-making machine. Okay, okay, okay. Fred, do you have one more trick up your sleeve? Because NBC needs you. <laughs> And in 1978, he became president of NBC, and things were rough, to say the least. So third time was not necessarily the charm. 
One of the jewels in the NBC crown was a variety show called Saturday Night Live, which was a counterculture reaction to traditional hokey variety shows. A small ensemble of comedians would do sketches, often with the week's host. There would be new bands to show to the world, political satire, commercial parodies, and characters galore. Since its inception in 1975, audiences had fallen in love with Gilda Radner's Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, Jim Belushi's Samurai, Dan Aykroyd's Jimmy Carter, and Chevy Chase's opening each show by executing a pratfall and screaming, Live from New York, it's Saturday night. Keeping all of these wild and crazy comedians in line and demanding excellent writing was the show's creator and executive producer, Lorne Michaels. The popularity of the show proved so wild that it's not ready for primetime players was being wooed by lucrative film deals. Chase, Chevy Chase, was the first to go by the end of the second season, and then Aykroyd and Belushi left at the end of season four, and that triggered tons of critics saying, the show isn't what it once was, so let's pull the plug on it now. So by season five, which was the 1979 to 1980 season, uh, Lorne Michaels was feeling exhausted for many, many reasons. The cast was heavily into drugs. People's egos were inflating and out of control. Fred Silverman was demanding budget cuts. And ABC was launching their answer to SNL called Fridays, Fridays. which, if you have never seen, is one of the worst shows I think that's ever been put on television. Great cast, though. It is a great cast, but it's literally one drug joke after (laughs) another. And of course, Gilda Radner, who was Silverman's favorite, he thought she was going to be the next Lucille Ball, announced she wasn't going to be coming back for season six. So Michaels was the captain of a pretty big ship, and it docking or him removing his name from the ship was going to be a pretty big disaster. And this was frustrating for Silverman because the two biggest hits that NBC had, SNL, and the Johnny Carson show were both in jeopardy because Carson was suing NBC and might walk. And none of the programming that Silverman was scheduling seemed to be landing. We will cover some of those shows in future episodes, I'm sure, like Pink Lady and Jeff. Oh. Then, to make matters worse for Mr. Silverman, Jimmy Carter announced that the U.S. wouldn't go to the Moscow Olympics, which means they were losing broadcasting fees. And then the most expensive television show up until that time was a NBC show called Super Train. And that show flopped so bad that NBC was now on the verge of bankruptcy. In the spring of 1980s, Lorne Michaels began renegotiating his contract, and he says to NBC, if you can guarantee me a later start date, improvements to the studio, and allowing me to restructure the show, I will take the same salary that you've always been giving me, and I'll probably appoint Al Franken and Tom Davis as the executive producers in addition to me. So I can I can do the show and I have a three-picture deal at Warner Brothers that'll allow me time to go and do that. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Okay. So it seemed that everyone was agreeing to this this idea. And and for those of you who don't know, of course, Al Franken was a senator from from mm-hmm. Minnesota. Uh, but before this, he was a huge comedy writer and and a uh, cast member on SNL. So it kind of makes sense that he's going to roll into this position. So like I said, it seemed to be fine. But then on May 8th of 1980, Fred Silverman doesn't show up for a meeting with Lauren Michaels to discuss all of this. And Lauren Michaels feels slighted and hurt. And it seems that Fred Silverman was up all night putting together the fall schedule for an affiliates meeting the next morning to which the affiliate said, we're not happy with any of this. So Silverman spent the afternoon trying to win them back as opposed to meeting with Lorne Michaels. So Michaels and his agent, Bernie Brillstein, did have the, the scheduled meeting, but with the executives of NBC, 
And that did not go very well because the executive started the meeting shitting on Lauren Michaels pretty much for the failure of Gilda Live, which was a, a special that Gilda Radna sure. did that they paid $2.5 million for. Oh, wow. And did not get very good reviews. Of course, now, obviously, we look at it and go, my God, it's brilliant. But back then, it didn't do so well. Uh, and they refused to give him more than six episodes of a primetime series that he was looking for. So Lauren Michaels was like, you obviously don't want me anymore. Great. I'm going to leave. This gets back to Fred Silverman, and he immediately calls Lauren Michaels and apologizes for his absence. He apologized for the executive's bad behavior, and he's like, I'll give you more money. I'll give you more shows. Just please don't leave. And on Monday, May 12th, we'll have a meeting with all the executives, and I'll let them know what my decision is to help you. Don't worry about it. Okay, fine. So now Michaels can focus on tomorrow's SNL with host Bob Newhart. All of his focus can go there because you got to give focus yeah, like, to Bob Newhart. You got to. So it's dress rehearsal for SNL. So it's about like, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And Barbara Gallagher, who was NBC's vice president for late night programming, she's going through the scripts for that episode. And she reads a commentary that Al Franken is going to do on Weekend Update. And he is calling this piece a limo for a lame And the two-minute piece is going to be Al Franken questioning why NBC is paying for Fred Silverman to have a limousine when all he's doing is tanking the network. Now, remember, Al Franken is next in line to take over when Lauren Michaels leaves. Oh, Al. Okay. So Barbara Gallagher was very close to Fred Silverman, and she begged Lauren Michaels. She's like, please don't put this on the air. Fred had this horrible, horrible week. And Lauren Michaels says, he goes, listen, I goes, I don't censor. He goes, I can't pull material because someone's going to be offended by it. But if you talk to Al Franken and Al Franken changes stuff, that's okay. So she goes to Al. She explains what Fred went through that week. And she says, this is really going to hurt him. And apparently Al Franken says, good. He hurt Lauren. <laughs> so it's always good to have like yeah, oh, yeah. someone in your corner. So Lauren finally spoke to him about toning it down. And Al Franken apparently said, yeah, fine, fine. I'll tone it down before we get on air. Now, in the past, Fred Silverman was made fun of on SNL consistently. John Belushi even played him. And anytime that happened, Lauren always made sure that either Barbara or comedy vice president Brandon Tartikoff would alert Fred Silverman. But the only way to do that now was to call him at home and say, hey, be prepared. And it seems Barbara and Brandon were both terrified of calling Fred Silverman. But why should we worry? Al said he was going to tone it down. And by tone it down, he made it even harsher. <laughs> Here is Al Franken's limo for a limo. I found out that NBC gives limousines to Tom Snyder and to Gary Coleman. Now, taste aside, these guys do star in their own shows, so I can't really complain about them either. But now get this. You know who gets complete door-to-door -door limousine service from NBC? Fred Silverman. <laughs> now, here is a guy who is a total, unequivocal failure. Okay, right. the guy's been here two years, and he hasn't done diddly squat. Okay, and he gets a limo. Now, here's a list. Okay, of the top 10 rated shows this season in TV. Now, there's, there's some A's there, some B's, some C's, some uh, S's. You see those? You see any N's? No. Not one N. Why? 
because Silverman is a lame-o. <laughs> but he still gets limousine service. I like to call it a limo for the lame-o. So Franken went on to ask the audience to mail in postcards to Silverman's office, asking him that he get Al Franken a limo. If enough of you write, Silverman will have to get me the limo. Even though I've just decimated him, that's the way things are around here. He's timid, indecisive, and easily pressured. He's weak. Uh, and then they put Fred Silverman's office address on the screen. Ugh. And that was it. Went to commercial. Now, before this segment is even over, the control room phone is ringing, and it's Fred Silverman. And he's looking for Brandon Tartikoff. Oh, I could imagine. Who hid. On Monday, there's no meeting because Silverman is uh, staring at over 5,000 letters and postcards <laughs> that arrived to his office over the weekend. Franken wrote a letter of apology, but it went nowhere. Franken and Davis would clearly not be taking over for Lauren Michaels. On the last episode of that season, which was the end of season five, it seemed as if the show was going to go off the air forever because Lauren Michaels gave gifts out to the cast, which he had never really done before, and the ending shot was an on-air sign flickering off. So it seemed like this thing was leaving us. Sure. So Tartikoff and Gallagher, both vice presidents, met with Lauren and they said they wanted SNL to continue, even without him. He said, look, he goes, you need a producer who was a writer so they can tell people what's funny, what isn't funny. You need someone to control all of those egos. So mm -hmm. that was his piece of advice. And Fred Silverman said, look, it has to be someone from the ranks who knows how this entire show operates and it will legitimize whoever's going to take over for Lorne. So Barbara Gallagher recommends her friend, Gene Dumanian. If you want to get a picture in your mind of Gene Dumanian, I think Mary Louise Parker. Okay, yeah. Uh, once again, Gene is not only Barbara's friend, but Gene is also a person who has been on SNL as an associate producer and talent coordinator pretty much from the beginning. Lorne immediately said no because he said she's not really a producer. She's never been part of the core team. She never wrote, never saw notes, never gave notes, never dealt with anyone. He goes, she doesn't know anything about the show. She's a good talent coordinator, which really meant Bob Newhart with like Sanka in his dressing well, room. Yeah. I mean, she knew how to wrangle talent. Yeah. Right. But she was an associate producer, said Barbara. So Gallagher said that she's going to be a new producer, but it's new casting. It's mostly new writers. So it's not like, you know, she's trying to maintain anything you had done previously. Right. So Tartikoff makes the offer to Domanian two days after Lauren Michaels says, please don't do this. Now, my, Lauren Michaels is down in Texas for the opening of Urban Cowboy. Oh. When Barry Diller comes up to him and says, wow, Gene Domanian to replace you. That's interesting. So that's how he finds out. Urban Cowboy's never been the same no. to Lauren Michaels No, he since. can't watch it since. It's very triggering. Domanian only thought she had to hire a whole new cast. But once everyone heard what happened, all the writers, except Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's brother, left. And the whole cast left because they're like, fuck you for treating Lauren like that. Now, the writers left. There's discrepancy on why the writers left. She says it's because they were pissed about Lauren leaving. Lauren says, no, she fired all of them. Uh. Because she hated them. So now she has to find writers. And how the fuck does she do that? And NBC is cutting the episode budget from a million an episode to $350,000 per episode. Oh, my God. How the fuck does she do that? And who the fuck is Jean Demanian? Well, Jean, her life didn't necessarily lead her to this moment. She had dropped out of college to marry a records promoter through whom she met Woody Allen 
whose coattails she grabbed quite heartily because Woody's friend Dick Cavett hired her for his talk show as an associate producer and pre-show interviewer. And then she got hired for Woody's friend Howard Cosell and then off to SNL as talent coordinator. It's not necessarily the comic pedigree of some of the others, but we all have to start somewhere. So the first person she asked to be a head head writer on the show, because Franken and Davis aren't there anymore, is uh, Harry Shearer, who uh, was a cast member. You probably know him from the amazing voices he does on The Simpsons in the Christopher Guest movies. Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. I mean, a genius. And apparently he says, I'll be the head writer, but we're going to co-run the show together. That's the only way this is going to work. And she said no. And later he said, uh, she told me she didn't want people who knew what they were doing. Oh, good. So that way she can control them. So he's like, I'm out. He leaves. And she gets Mason Williams, a musician. Okay. Who had done comedy on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Oh, perfect. And if you know anything about SNL, the type of comedy that SNL was created to rebel against was the Smothers Smothers Brothers. Brothers. And the Carol Burnett yep. show and the Dean Martin show. And Lauren Michaels, anytime he doesn't like, he apparently anytime he didn't like a sketch, he goes, this is Carol Burnett. I don't want this becoming Carol Burnett. She also brings on a couple of new writers, Pamela Norris, who's best known for writing uh, Troop Beverly Hills, oh, okay. Troop Beverly Hills. Terry Sweeney, who will become, not yet, but will become the first openly gay cast member. Plus folks like David Hurwitz, Nancy Dowd, Mel Green, Douglas McGrath, the screenwriter Douglas McGrath. That's the writers, but the cast, the cast. See, Gene goes on a massive talent search, not just in the comedy world, but film, television, theater, improv, music, circus, newscasters, magicians, you name it, she's looking for you. And she chooses six people, three boys, three girls, and she tears them. These are the three that she thinks are going to be the big stars. The first one is a woman named Denny Dillon. Denny Dillon is a diminutive little actress who was a theater actress. She was a theater actress, and she probably was best known at that time to the public as Doreen in Saturday Night Fever. And she beat out other theater actress and future Academy Award winner Mercedes Rule. Oh, wow. To be on SNL. But she thinks Denny Dillon is like the new Gilda. She's quirky. She's fun. She's it. The new Chevy Chase, who's gonna or Bill Murray, who's going to be the big breakout star, is an anchorman from Colorado, and his name is Charles Rocket. I was going to say, she thought Charles Rocket, right? Charles, oh God, Charles Rocket. And apparently Charles Rocket is not an easy person to work with, and his name will be coming up a quite a few more times in today's episode. And then finally, the like Gilda Radner crossed over with Lorraine Newman type Gail Mathias. Gail Mathias, who's an L.A. comedian. So those are the three that she thinks, boom, these are going to be the big stars. Everyone else, support them. And the other people supporting them, uh, the other woman is an actress by the name of Anne Risley. And Anne has a very interesting film career. Guess what she was doing right before she got cast in SNL? Porn. No, she was an actress in a few films all by the same director. Guess who that director might be? Woody Allen. Woody Allen. In addition to Anne Risley, the other two guys that she's like, oh, they, they're not going to be as cool as Charles Rocket, but we need guys, is a young New York stand-up by the name of Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> and a comedian from New Jersey by the name of Joe Piscopo. Oh, gosh. And apparently Charles Rocket was not nice to these guys, <laughs> as, as, far, as, as, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay. Head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to Patreon.com and send us some money, and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. And there are featured players like Yvonne Hudson, who became the first black female SNL cast member, Matthew Lawrence, and Patrick Weathers. Now, Jean also saw a couple of other people that she turned down, including Jim Carrey, okay. John Goodman, okay. and Paul Pee-wee Herman Rubens. She's still looking for someone to fill the shoes of Garrett Morris because she says, these are her words, not mine, I need a black actor. But no one she has seen has does it does it for her, so she'll tackle that later on once the first uh, her new first season is up and running. The build up to this new cast in SNL, or as they now call it SNL eighty, is all over the country. Who's going to be the next Gilda? Who's going to be the next Candy Graham? And there were promos absolutely everywhere. Hello, I'm Elliot Gould. Saturday Night Live is live again. This will be the sixth time I've hosted this show, which is more than Steve Martin. So join me in an old new cast and our musical guest, Kid Creole and the Coconuts, tonight. How did I do? Maybe it's not too late to get Steve. So everyone is ecstatic SNL's coming back it's a whole new cast they need a new energy this is going to be it SNL is going to come back to what it once was and the first episode begins on November 15th 1980 and uh it's not trying for a new energy in fact it's kind of acknowledging the old uh-oh energy the cold open for the show is Elliot Gould, who's hosting, and he's making fun of his movie Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which was about wife swapping. And so Elliot Gould is in bed, and the entire cast is in bed with him. And they introduce themselves to Elliot Gould um, by saying their name and who they're supposed to be from the old cast. So Gail Mathias says that she's kind of a cross between Jane and Gilda, Charles says he's a cross between Chevy and Bill Murray. Anne Risley says she's a cross between Gilda and Lorraine. And Gilbert Gottfried calls himself a cross between John Belushi and, quote, that guy from last year who did a Rod Serling impression. That's Harry Shearer. And since then, Harry Shearer has never spoken to Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) Here's a little bit of that sketch. Relax. What are they going to do? Start without us? You're going to be just fine on this Sort of a cross between Gilda and Jane. <laughs> you're you're the one. Go kind of a cross between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, hi. Uh, I'm Ann Risley. Hi. 
Kind of a cross between Gilda and Lorraine. Including one swipe at a certain performer who had turned Domanian down. Gilbert Gottfried, I'm kind of a cross between John Belushi and that guy from last year. He did the Rod Serling. Nobody could remember his name. Harry. Yeah. The guy who from last year did a Rod Serling impression, but nobody can remember his name. And that's also a little clip of kind of real Gilbert voice. That's real Gilbert voice. Then after you have to sit through that god-awful sketch... Then there's a sketch about Rosalind Carter trying to seduce seduce Jimmy Carter because he's depressed about losing the election. And then then Charles Rocket does an on-the-street thing as a reporter where he goes to the Dakota to ask people about John Lennon's new album, which is kind of... Be, this is literally a month before John say, Lennon like died. No, 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 right no. before, right then. before John Lennon died. So obviously the sketch has not aged well. The sketch aged well, did not age well the next week. There's a nose wrestling sketch, a foot fetish film, and like v- just sketches that just drag. Actors are stumbling over their lines. Everyone looks terrified. There's like no sense of co- cohesion, and it's like, and you're sitting there and you're going, "What was this? Who were these people? You've been working on this since July, and this is what you gave us." <laughs> And the reviews then come in. New York Times, nothing so much as an unfunny parody of its predecessor. The Washington Star, strained and groaned. Newsday, Saturday night's dead on arrival. Tom Shales, who was SNL's biggest champion, vile from New York. Uh-huh. It's Saturday night. Sassy. Here's some of the sketches just to give you a sample of the comedy that was going on over then. They tackle such topical things like assisted suicide. Now, your letter says here that your chosen method of suicide is self-punishment. Yes, Grace, that's right. I will be beating myself to death with the hardcover edition of The Joy of Cooking. I will be beating myself to death with the hardcover edition of The Joy of Cooking. The news, which was literally what made Chevy Chase a star, is going to be done by Charles Rocket. And he does the news uh, barely. In Peking this week, the trial of the famous Gang of Four began. The central figure in that trial is Shang Jin, widow of the Mao Zedong. Nancy Reagan, noting that Madame Mao, like herself, is a former movie star, a uh, former movie actress, accused of manipulating thousands of party officials while her aging husband was in power. Said Nancy, boy, I'm glad I live in America. Now, remember how Jean needed, quote, a black actor? Her words, not mine. Well, she's looking at a comedian, a young guy by the name of Charlie Burnett. And she then goes, no, I don't want to go with him. I want to go with a guy named Robert Townsend. And finally, Neil Levy, who's the talent coordinator, says, look, I think I have someone that you might really like. He's a 19-year-old comedian. His name's Eddie Murphy. And Neil Levy is really pushing. And she just doesn't want him. She does not want him. So, But Neil feels like this kid just needs a chance. So he throws him on as an extra in episode two, there's a sketch called The Negro Republican. And he has no lines in it. He has absolutely no lines in it. He's just a background player. And then they give him a little something to do on episode three in Weekend Update. The other big story this week, Cleveland. Judge ruling all high school basketball teams must have two white players. Fair, unjust, comment. Cleveland high school student Rahim Abdul-Muhammad. What's the story, Rahim? Yo, baby. Look, I've been a junior at Cleveland High going on seven years now. I'd like to tell y'all that this is the most disgusting thing y'all done pulled up today. We ain't got much, I say at least let us have basketball. There's nothing sacred. Anytime we get something going good, y'all got to move in on it. In the 60s, we wore platform shoes, then y'all had to wear platform shoes. 
In the early 70s, we braided our hair. Then in the late 70s, you had to braid your hair. Now it's 1980. We on welfare. And by the end of next year, y'all going to be on welfare too. And when he comes on, it is like the hugest ray of sunshine. He lights up the screen. He takes control of the situation. He doesn't let go. And you can tell that's a star. So like Lauren said, though, Gene doesn't know how to run a writer's room. And her idea of giving notes is having the writers gather around a VCR player where she plays back the episodes and goes, that's not funny, and pauses to tell them, that's not funny. And after repeated fights, Mason Williams is like, I'm out. And Jeremy Stevens and Tom Moore, they become the new head writers. And the show gets even more afraid. Remember, we're not even in like halfway through this first season yet. This is even before we hit the halfway mark, right? And then on episode 11 of this season from hell, there's no turning back from episode 11. The host was Dallas star Charlene Tilton. You have to remember Dallas was a very famous television show at the time. Uh, And she was only hosting the show because her co-star Larry Hagman backed out. (laughs) Oh, perfect. So she comes in. One of the episodes running jokes in this episode was based around Dallas's infamous Who Shot JR episode, right? He got shot. You had to find out till next season who actually killed him. It was a big deal. And so to, to make this thing a joke, the joke is going to be that Charles Rocket, CR, is so unliked by the cast that he's going to be shot in the episode, right? So at the end of the show, during the good nights, Rocket is on stage in a wheelchair recovering from his bullet wound. The whole cast is there. Charlene Tilton is sitting on his lap, and uh, she asks him, Charlie, how are you feeling after you've been shot? And he just says, Oh, man, it's the first time I've ever been shot in my life. I'd like to know who the fuck did it. <laughs> And the switchboards lit up, and in came the FCC, and NBC needed to do something because Domanian had lost all control. As the cast began working on next week's episode, former vice president of late-night programming, Uh Dick Ebersol, and the man who helped get SNL on the air, received a secret phone call. Do you have any interest in replacing Gene Domanian? So while next week's episode, hosted by Bill Murray, was being broadcast... Ebersol was watching from the booth just to see what's going on. And then on Monday, he took over. He fired every cast member, but Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy. He brought in Chicago improv actor Tim Kazarinski. And he brought in SCTV's Tony Rosato and Catherine O'Hara. And Catherine O'Hara didn't even last an hour or two because she got into a fight with the new head writer, Michael O'Donohue, who was an old writer on SNL. And she said, you should bring in my friend Robin Duke. So then Robin Duke replaced Catherine O'Hara, right? Well, there was no host for episode 13, which was on after a month hiatus after the, you know, the Bill Murray episode. Uh, Chevy Chase returned to Anchor Week and Update, and he brought a friend along with him, Al Franken, who wanted to know why he didn't replace Gene Dumanian. So after five golden years, Lauren decided to leave. And so did those close to him, including me, Al Frank. So NBC had to pick a new producer. Now, most knowledgeable people, as you might imagine, hoped it would be me, Al Frank. But instead, without consulting the show's staff or cast, NBC picked Gene Domanian, an associate producer on the show. Now, I don't want to be cruel to Gene, because it might make you think less of me, Al Franken. (laughs) 
Anyway, it took NBC 12 shows to figure out their horrendous mistake. And a month ago, they fired Gene. Okay, now, who do they pick to rectify the original error? Someone who knows what he's doing? Someone like me, Al Franken? No, they pick Dick Ebersol. Now, I know Dick because he was a network executive in charge of late night programming when Saturday night started, and as such, was the first person to steal credit for the success of Saturday night. <laughs> credit which should rightfully go to Lorne Michaels and me, Al Frank. Ebersol was ready to bring the old SNL format back, and by doing so, he wanted to make sure that there was a link to the past for the following week, and that's why he had... Al Franken and Tom Davis host the episode with the Grateful Dead as the musical guests, but there was a little bit of a problem. The writers' strike occurred, and SNL didn't have a new episode that week, nor did it have another episode that was new until September of 1981. And that time allowed Eversol to then fire Denny Dillon and Gail Mathias and Don Pardo. Now, SNL really had no connection to the past and look forward to a glorious future, one without Gene Dumanian. What happened to all the people that Ebersol fired and what happened to Gene Dumanian? Well, we'll tell you right after this. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Hello? Dolores, Fred Silverman, I need you to take this down. Mr. Silverman, it's 105 in the morning. Weren't you watching? That mayor of Munchkin City, Al Franken, dragged my ass over the coals. We need to get ahead of the story. This needs to go out first thing in the morning. Let's list my accomplishments. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready, Mr. Silverman. Headline, Fantastic Fred, Body. Fred Silverman got rid of all of CBS's hillbilly shit. Remember the rural purge? That was supposed to be called the Silverman Splurge. That was my idea. Silverman Splurge, got it. And canceling those shows helped those actors. Do you know that Arnold the Pig finally checked into rehab? I, I will mention that, Mr. Silverman. People, people need to remember that Fred Silverman knows what it takes to do comedy variety shows. Remind everyone how successful the Sunny and Cheer comedy hour was. I made a comedy star out of a small man with a big smile and an even bigger mustache. Big smile, bigger mustache. Don't forget about the Brady Bunch variety hour, sir. No, we can definitely forget that. Scooby-Doo, that was my idea. People say rut-row because of Fred Silverman. Rut-row. Let these people know that Fred Silverman may have made some mistakes at NBC and we are coming in fourth out of three networks, but that I gave the world Charlie's Angels, every boy locked in a bathroom right now should be saying my name because if it wasn't for me, Fred Silverman, they'd still be jerking off to Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies. Got it, Mr. Silverman. I'm hanging up now, but I want to call Gene Domanian. What's the number for Woody Allen's asshole? Thank you. This was a sketch. We know that SNL continued on with Lorne coming back in 1985, and it made Eddie Murphy a big star. They used to say that Eddie's success went to Joe Piscopo's head. <laughs> and the Domanian cast knew that they were getting screwed. Some even said that Fred Silverman, so angry at Lorne Michaels, wanted to just ruin SNL. And that's why he, he made all the decisions that he made, because he was just so angry at it. So what happened to the cast? 
that Gene Domanian had assembled. Matthew Lawrence was Mel Silver on Beverly Hills 90210. He was one of the dads. Patrick Weathers became a musician. Denny Dillon is still working in theater today. She became a Tony-nominated theater actress, and she was probably best familiar with audiences in HBO's Dream On, if you remember the HBO show Dream mm-hmm. On in the early mm-hmm. 90s. Gail Mathias, she still does improv, but she's probably best known for her voiceover acting. She did The Animaniacs, Ren and Stimpy, tons of others. Anne Risley uh, teaches acting now. Joe Piscopo is now a bodybuilder. Eddie is Eddie. Gilbert became a successful comedian. Charles Rocket uh, never really took off. He was the bad guy in Dumb and Dumber. He was the dad in Hocus Pocus. And then sadly, he took his own life in 2005. But Gene Demanian. What happened to Gene Demanian? Well, Gene licked her wounds and tried something new that she had never done before. Working with Woody Allen, (laughs) she produced seven of his 1990s films, as well as a TV movie of his and a documentary about his life as a jazz musician called Wild Man Blues. What? Yep. She produced a play of his off-Broadway called Death Defying Acts. And then in 2000, just as they were about to start filming on Woody Allen's film The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, Gene allegedly told Woody that he had, quote, 48 hours to find alternative funding for the film. There was no money. Then in May of 2001, on the advice of his financiers, which they had been asking him to do for years and years and years, Alan filed a lawsuit against Jean Domanian and her business partner and longtime boyfriend, Jackie Safra, claiming that their production company, Sweetland, had skimmed profits off of the movies. Oh, my God. And under Mr. Allen's agreement with Ms. Dumanian and Mr. Safra, he earned a salary for each film, as well as a percentage of the profits after the film's costs were recouped. Because she was a friend, he was willing to enter into a new agreement, uh, one in which he would not earn money beyond his salary until the film's investors were paid back because Dumanian's company was financing the projects herself, itself, which included the very successful Bullets Over Broadway and Mighty Aphrodite. So where was the money going? By 1998, Miss Dumanian had expanded her role on Mr. Allen's films and initiated cost-cutting measures that resulted in the departures of his uh, longtime producer, Robert Greenhunt, his editor, Susan Morse, who had been with him since the 70s, Jeffrey Curland, cinematographer Carlo De Palma, and Miss Dumanian's purse strings were so tight that coffee after lunch was eliminated for the crew on Mighty Aphrodite. They settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. And since then, she has become a successful theater producer, working on such things as August Osage County, The Book of Mormon, and Our Town. Oh, wow. And all of this, all of this, isn't this ironic to think that Fred Silverman, the man who redefined TV comedy, just couldn't take a joke? That's SNL 80 for you. You're a big SNL fan, right, aren't you? I am. What, to you, was the best cast? I mean, it's one of those things where someone says it best. Everyone thinks their favorite cast is the one that they grew up watching. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up with Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon, Chris Kattan. All, I mean, and Will Ferrell still is one of my favorites. If you could do an SNL dream team, so and anybody living or dead from all the, the casts and seasons, who would you put together? You get eight. Eight? Yeah, not, not this like 400 that they have now. Well, I mean, you got to have Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. For utility, I'd probably say Dan Aykroyd. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. And then Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. I'll give you one more guy. I biasly would put Will Ferrell because I know he can carry. Okay, that's your four. And then give me three girls. Three women. I have to do four women. I thought you said cast of Oh, eight. four. Yes, sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, geez. Uh, Maya Rudolph, definitely. Kristen Wiig. See, that because there's a lot. I like Jan Hook so much, but then, see, that's tough. 
I feel like there's more good women to choose from than Yeah, and than you get to men. choose four. That's the way the game works. I know. Okay. Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig, Molly Shannon always got me. And I'm trying to think of a, a, a woman of color, but there's been Shashir Zamata was good. No Gilda Radner? Oh, well, Gilda. Yeah, but I didn't want to do it all. Yeah, Gilda definitely from original cast. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of Gilda. I was trying to think of all the people. Nora Dunn. I loved Nora Dunn. Nora Dunn was great. Sherry O'Terry made me laugh. Sherry O'Terry was always good. I mean, Anna Gasteyer was Oh, Anna Ga- Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, Sorry. So this is a hard one. Yeah, but but that's all one of those things where a lot of the nut pit names I'm referencing are ones that I grew up watching. So late 90s, early 2000s, because it's like I watched so much of that cast. Folks, let us know who makes your top eight on uh, SNL. Now, let's play a game. Uh-oh. was a thing and now it's a quiz this is a this was a quiz yeah. with mark schroeder mark schroeder hey thanks for having me back have you ever auditioned for snl mark i never did i did some showcases where allegedly that would have led to something but i never uh, got past that round that's their loss you know i think it is i see people on there that i'm like i probably couldn't have done any better than that and they got that person they got that utility person so they're doing it. I don't need to be up there. They're you don't got to come after Alec Baldwin like that. Though. No, I could have done a great Trump. And... He's trying. Anyway, SNL 1980, right? Oof. Oof, yes. What a disaster. A great little year, bit. though. A little bit. straight up disaster. And yet, the sad thing is everybody watched it. Like, because it was the big, oh, everybody's yeah. big favorite for five years. And like, let's tune in and see. And everybody watched this disaster. And I was like, this, this gets me thinking. What other major disasters have occurred that a lot of people watched? <laughs> And everybody saw. And I came up with a fun little list here. So we're going to play a game called What a Disaster. Are these are these real disasters or television disasters? Oh, uh, we'll see. Oh, God. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Now, you guys are going to be working against each other on this one. Okay. This is one Great. of the few games where you guys are working against one another. We got nine rounds here. I'm going to give you each a disaster. Mm-hmm. The name of a disaster that's well known. You're going to name what year you thought it happened in. Who's ever closest gets a point. And we'll do first to five points wins. Okay. 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 So up first, Ray, you get the Hindenburg airship disaster. 1926. Rob, you get Archduke Franz Ferdinand's assassination. 1914. Rob has nailed it. 1914 for Archduke Franz Ferdinand. 1937 for the Hindenburg Ah. disaster. So one point for Rob. Number two, John Travolta. This is for you. Appears in Battlefield Earth. 97. For you, Rob. John Travolta appears in Wild Hogs. 2013? Battlefield Earth was 2000. You said 97. Really? That's three years. And you said 2017? 13. 2013. That is 2007. So that is six years. Oh. So Ray gets a point. We are one to one. Ray, the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan. 1984. Rob, 7.0 earthquake in Haiti. 2015. The Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan was 2011, and the 7.0 earthquake was 2010. Yeah, I knew I was off on that one. Rob was a little bit closer. Rob has two points here. Number four, Ray. Kanye West tells Taylor Swift he's going to let her finish at the Grammys. 2010. Rob, Google Glass becomes available to the public. 2017. Grammys was 2009. It was 2009? 2009. One off, so you get it, and Google Glass was 2014. Oh, 
Okay, number five, the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster. I'm going to say 84 again. And the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. I think Chernobyl was 86. Chernobyl was 86. Three Mile Island was 79. Rob really knows his nuclear disasters. Point game for Rob. Here we go. U2's album, Songs of Innocence, is forced on every iTunes user. Oh my God, I was was literally talking about this two weeks ago. I'm going to say 2009. And... Fire Festival. <laughs> oh, shit. 2018? 2014 for U2. Really? Yeah. And then 2017 for Fire Festival. Oh. So they were that far into iPhones and they still thought. And they still Let's thought that would be a good idea. This, yeah, yeah, we're going to force this U2 album on everybody. We're now seven years removed from that. And then seven years from, like, that's, that's the middle point of where we are. Yeah. Of the iPhone generation. I'm just like, wow, we U2 made a really bad error about fr- halfway through. Ugh. Let's learn from that. Three quick ones here. Just for fun, wrestler Owen Hart dies after falling from the top of the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri during a stunt. I'm going to say 2001. And Brandon Lee dies on the set of The Crow when a gun mishap occurs. 94? Two, uh, 1999. 99. So two years off. 1993. Oh! So one year off. Damn You're it. Very close there, Rob. Yeah, both pretty close. Okay. Fabio is hit in the face by a goose while riding oh, a roller coaster. God. And Hugh Grant is arrested while in his car with sex worker Divine Brown. So you get Fabio, you get Hugh Grant and Divine Brown. 95 was Divine Brown? 96, Fabio. 95, Divine Brown. 99, Fabio. Ah. Maybe I'm giving you all the easy ones and I'm giving poor Ray the hard ones. Let me try and determine what I think is the easier one here for this last one. For Rob, Tom Cruise pounces on Oprah's couch to tell the world he loves Katie Holmes. 2005 for the jumping on the couch. And for Ray, Tom Cruise calls Matt Lauer glib while defending Scientology's anti-psychiatry stance. Well, I know the Matt Lauer one's before 2017. 2013. They were both 2005. Really? really? They happened in the same year. It was a big year for big Tom year Cruise. For Tom. Big year for Tom. He was feeling cocky. And he kind of dis- he survived those Love disasters. Still top of the box office. So those are disasters. Rob really knows his disasters. He's been there for a lot of them and maybe been the cause of most. I, yes, yes. I I know I should have told the Titanic person, don't worry about the iceberg. I was like, I I just needed to get to New York. The Titanic person. I just, uh, what was his name? Oh, the captain. Captain. Ahab. That's it. That's it. Then I started working on blimps and I won't even tell you about that one. Oh, yeah. the bolt. Oh, God. Okay. So, uh, folks, SNL 1980, reach out if you remember watching some of these episodes. And if you did have a favorite sketch, what was it? (laughs) We're still looking for some. I loved the cowbell one. No, man, from SNL 80. Oh. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Till next time. Bye. Bye. Until next time. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. 
If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 